Alrighty. I didn't say this before, but this handsome fellow right here. Uh, my name is Ephraim Pena. I am the campus pastor here at uh, Southfield Santa Clarita. We are just one of the incredible 10 campuses that we have all throughout California and around the world. And we're so glad that you're here uh, worshiping with us. Um, we hope that you enjoy the coffee. We hope that you enjoy the donut holes. We hope that you enjoy the love and the welcome that we uh, have here at South Hills. Uh, we are in our summer series titled Seven, and uh, it's been an incredible series. Uh, you can watch uh, the previous messages from this series on our, uh, on our Facebook uh, channel, or you can go to uh, catch it on our podcast channel as well. You can find it on iTunes, Spotify, and on our webpage. Uh, but it's been an incredible, incredible series. So just give you a little synopsis of what we have been talking about. And, um, and it's the fact that we always seem to get caught or, or trip uh, or, or, or stumble on, have these stumbling parts in our lives that cause us um, severe or give us anxiety or cause problems in our lives, er, excuse me, areas in which we are constantly trying to, to, not so on purpose, but we're putting wedges between the best life that God has for us and the life that we're currently living. And the Bible talks about these moments in our lives and actually puts them in or categorizes them as the seven deadly sins. Areas in, in our lives or sins in our lives that actually separate us further from living the best life that God has for us. So, again, we've been going through these seven uh, sins in hopes of finding out where do they come from. Why do they trip us up, and what can we do about it? Because as Christians, followers of Jesus, we should be separating ourselves from sin. We should be striving to live a life that is sinless. Now, will we always be sinless? Absolutely not. But if we're trying to make these decisions that lead us to live closer to the life that God has for us, then there's progress. But every time that we stumble upon, or, or not stumble upon, but we trip over one of these seven deadly sins, it brings a highlight to our life that says, man, you're probably not living the best life that God has for you. So we've talked about pride, envy, and last week, wrath. How many of you could raise your hand and say, man, I, pride is, is something that I probably struggle with? Tell the truth. You're in church now. Come on. How about envy? Envy. Yeah? How about wrath? Last week was rough. Wrath. Right? Okay. Well, today it doesn't get any easier. All right? Today we're going to be talking about sloth. And let me ask you this. Do you ever remember that one Saturday where you had this incredible list of things that you were going to do? I'm talking about that list was like, man, Saturday, I'm going to tackle it. I'm going to get it done. 
And then all of a sudden, Saturday comes about, and you wind up watching some football or some baseball or talking to your friend that you haven't talked to in a while or going to the mall and shop, and you did absolutely nothing that was on that list. Absolutely nothing. And you're talking about, I'll do that next Saturday. Next Saturday. Is that anybody in this room? I'm just checking, just checking. You see, when you hear the word sloth, the first thing that comes to mind is probably laziness. A couch potato, a slob, a person who lays around all day, binge-watching Netflix, eating tubs of ice cream by themselves. It's basically all millennials, fatties, gamers, hoarders, perpetual sweatpants wearers, the guy at the office who always has a stain on his tie. That's not the person I'm talking about, folks. (laughs) You are casting judgment and ask for forgiveness right now. Shame on you. Shame on you for judging people like that. You see, contemporary culture equates sloth with laziness, inactivity with inertia. But that has more to do with the industrial revolution that the New Testament teachings, has more to do with industrial revolution than the New Testament teachings of Jesus. Since the modern industrial era, hard work and diligence has become a realistic virtue aimed at profitability and professional success. Careers have replaced religion as our Western source of meaning, worth, and identity. Our society measures a person's worth in terms of productivity, efficiency, and maximizing potential. But as it turns out, what as it turns out that what often produces that what this often produces is emotionally detached workaholism, which is not a virtue, by the way. In other words, it is not something you should be patting yourself on the back for. It's just another side. Of sloth. Ooh. Pastor, that's different than what you named all those other things. Same vice, different direction. So what is sloth, Pastor, besides the dude at the DMV? I love that guy. That's Flash. That's Flash right there. Mentor, you're right. Some mustache and glasses. So if you're taking notes, this is a great time to start taking notes as I describe what is sloth. Sloth is avoiding the monotony of meaningful work because it's too hard, too boring, takes too much time, and the immediate rewards are much too small. Contrary to what you might have thought, the heart of sloth isn't laziness, it's avoidance. A refusal to take full responsibility for your story. It's reacting to dissatisfaction with disengagement and distraction. If something in their life isn't working the way they want it to, 
The sloth impulse is either to do nothing or to do everything but the thing that they should be doing. Sometimes it looks like inactivity, and other times it looks like overactivity in any other direction than the direction or their deepest or in their deepest goals or values. Now, they may have a vision of who they want to be, but resist the painful process of personal growth required to get there. They see responsibility and routine, excuse me, they see responsibility and routine as annoying, boring, and oppressive. So instead of this, uh, this, uh, discipling themselves to evolve and transform, they cope by mentally and emotionally checking out. Know anyone like that? Not that you have to raise your hand or anything like that. The slothful sense something's wrong, but not wrong enough to do anything about it. They're just going to let things run their course. Don't worry about it. Soon you'll start fidgeting in your chairs. The Greek word used here is Acadia, which literally means lack of care. It's the idea of lack of enthusiasm and indifference. A description the slothful resist because in their minds, they care about this very much, just not enough to personally change to make it better. It can look like you're feeling more connected to characters in a show than co-workers or family members. Pursuing only what you find fun. Mastering surfacey small talk. Staying busy to avoid soul-searching moments. An inability to sustain interest in anything that's challenging. Unreliability. Letting others make choices for you. Apathy, distractibility, daydreaming. Ducking uncomfortable responsibilities, going through the motions of a week at a time. The sloth's greatest temptations are escapism and despair. Escapism is what else can I do that's not this? And despair is it's never going to get much better anyway, so why do it? To drift inwardly or outwardly towards something more comfortable or immediately comforting. The slothful only do what they like and are good at and will be celebrated for. Anything else just doesn't feel worth the effort. They live under the, the, the delusion that the life they want will someday magically come to them without any uncomfortable self-work of their own. And if it doesn't, well, well, then I guess it's not meant to be. One of the greatest examples of slothfulness is the, in the film Groundhog Day. You ready? Watch that movie. You're in church. You can raise your hands. Sorry. Bill Murray's character, Phil, 
can't get what he wants the way he is. But he refuses. He refuses to change. So he's at an impasse, right? He, he's trying to figure this out. The first two-thirds of the film is Phil responding to the disappointment by plunging into despair, slodging around, multiple suicide attempts, and distraction, right? Deciding uh, he was going to do whatever he wanted to do in life, right? Rob a bank, overeat, drive recklessly, right? These things that, that he was just like, I'm just going to live out life in this reckless manner. But none of it works. None of it works, leaving him empty and without meaning. He has to face himself. Listen here, church. The slothful are stuck between a life that isn't working and a life they don't want to work for. Do you know anyone like that? They're far from thriving. They're just surviving. Just getting through their lives is enough for them. Because ultimately, in their view, their predicament is not their fault. It's someone else's fault. It's a lack of opportunity. Unfair circumstances and situations that have stacked up against them. There's nothing they can do except the few things they really don't want to do. So they'll just keep doing what they're doing, drudging through, unhappily going through the motions, hoping for a miracle. So let's jump into scripture this morning. Proverbs 6, 6 says, take a lesson from the ants, you lazy bones. Learn from their ways and become wise. Ever seen the ants do their thing? It's a pretty incredible sight. Sloth is laziness toward wisdom. A refusal to look at your life as a whole and be honest. And be honest about where each area will end up if you don't address it. That's what the writer means when he writes in Proverbs 6, 9 to 11. It says, but you lazy bones, how long will you sleep? When will you wake up? A little extra sleep, a little more slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest. Then poverty will pounce on you like a bandit. Scarcity will attack you like an armed robber. And so basically what he's saying here is you're pretending like it's no problem. You're pretending that what you're going through is no big deal. You don't want to deal with it, but it's going to catch up with you. You can choose either to deal with it now or be forced to deal with it later, but it will pounce on you, it will attack you if you don't address it. For some of us, we don't want to deal with this. Uh, we don't want to deal with this in our job, right? We don't want to deal with this in, in, in our marriage. We don't want to deal with this kind of stuff with our the raising of our kids, with our financial future. For others, 
It could be your car. Your car's about it's smoking, and you don't want to address the issues. It could be about your health, your stress levels. Let's pause here for a second, and let me ask, think about this question here for a second here. What aspect of your life are you sleeping on, in denial of, or turning a blind eye to? Just think about that for a second. What areas in your life are you currently going? Or are you sweeping it under the rug, caring not to address it, not to do anything about it? Friends, a lack of effort is a symptom of a deeper problem. If you find yourself with a lack of effort in addressing these things in your life, it is leading you or it's leading to a deeper problem, a fear of engaging the complications of our full identity. It's the attitude of that part of my life is going to be too difficult or too painful to address, so I'm just going to double down on this other part and hope it doesn't come back to haunt me. Softful people aren't opposed to working hard. They're not. They're opposed to working hard on particular things of paramount or of utmost importance because true transformation is too difficult. Because in order for me to to pay attention to this area of this problem in my life, it's going to cost me too much. It's going to cost me some effort. It's going to cost me some work. It might cost me some finances. It might cost me some relationships. It might cost me, it's going to cost me something. But because it's too difficult and I don't want to put in the work, then I'm not going to address it. I'm just going to let it be. Pay no attention to it and hopefully it will go away. Have you ever had something like a, a small little sickness or a small little pain and said, oh, that's nothing. I'm going to let it just let it ride. Next thing you know, you're in the urgent care. <laughs> you're coughing up a lung because you didn't want to address it. You didn't want to drink that nasty medicine. You didn't want to take the necessary steps in order to make it better. Sloth is the vice is the vice of those who want the security of being loved and accepted as they are without the real sacrifice or ongoing struggle to change in order to love others better. Second Peter chapter 1 the verse the first part of verse 3 says by his divine power God has given us everything we need for living a godly life. In other words, you already have the power to do everything you need to do in order to become who God has called you to be. Second Peter verse Second uh, Peter one verse five to seven says this: In view of all this, make every effort to respond to God's promises. 
Supplement your faith with a generous provision of moral excellence and moral excellence with knowledge and knowledge with self-control and self-control with patient endurance and patient endurance with godliness and godliness with brotherly affection and brotherly affection with love for every one. In other words, you've got to lean into it, folks. You've got to work at it. It's like we said in week one, the prescription for your biggest problem is a partnership with God. It's a relationship with Jesus. You cannot do it without him. You cannot do this alone. Because he won't do it without you. And it's not going to happen overnight. You can't wiggle your nose and make it happen or fix it or make it better. You can't pay for it, for someone else to do it. It's a process. That's why the author here is using these buzzwords like self-control and patience and endurance. Literally, these are the sloth's uh, least favorite things to do. This process is supposed, is supposed to be leading and enabling you to love more. In other words, sloth has more to do with being lazy about love than lazy about work. When we say love, we mean love for self. Things like self-knowledge, self-respect, self-realization, boundaries. And love for others, humility, compromise, service, submission, legacy. Sloth sees love of self and others as a feeling. Not a commitment to consistent action. Its attitude is, I'm not feeling it. I'm not doing it. This shows lasting love as impossible because it, it annoyingly begins to, uh, or it annoyingly requires us, uh, requires daily nurturing, daily effort, and daily practices, a.k.a. too much work. Too much work to help fix me, to help change me. The slothful person is one who resists the effort of doing day after day whatever it takes to keep their life and their relationship strong, living and healthy, especially when they don't feel like it. The New Testament writers had a word for this. It's maturity. Maturity. That's why we as believers, as Christians, we are constantly talking about growing. We need to mature. We need to grow up. And in order for you to grow up and in order for you to mature, you're going to have to put in the work. You're going to have to do things that will cause you to look in the mirror and say, man, this area of my life sucks. This area of my life is not working. This area of my life, it's, it's like a plague. It's causing damage to me. 
Because if I'm going to live a life that is pleasing unto the Lord, if I'm going to live a life that emulates who Jesus is, if I'm going to love others, then I need to fix those things that are causing me pain, hurt, and causing me not to love others. So I need to mature. And I know you're sitting there like you're dying to point the finger at somebody in, in your family. I know, I know, this is, this, that's, how, that's what families do. We point fingers at the rest of them. But before you do that, just know that we are all selectively immature. We are all selectively slothful. There are certain things we just don't want to deal with. And that's a problem. That's a problem because if the thing that you don't want to face ends up being one of the most important aspects of your life, you have caused your own downfall. Do you hear what I'm saying? If the things that are causing you problems, issues, and you don't want to address them because you're, you're being slothful, you don't want to put in the work, chances are you are allowing something grow in your life that will cause your demise. So why don't we want to do it? Why don't we want to address it? Why don't we want to, to fix these things? Because the truth of the matter is true transformation is complicated and costly. True transformation is complicated and costly. It requires us to restructure our priorities. Ooh. Now, now you're talking about the, how I do things, Pastor. What's number one in my life? I'm not going to let you do that, Pastor. I like number one, number one. I put them in that order because that's the way I want it. You're going to tell me to reprioritize my life. The loco. It requires us to compromise our plans. It requires us to sacrifice our preferences. It requires us to alter our perspectives. Not engaging or investing seems way easier and safer. Right? Seems way easier and safer, but it's also sadder and lonelier. Also, most of us have learned that surface distractions do work in short term. But refusing to face our full selves and stretch beyond our own selfish desires eventually leaves, leaves us tired, cynical, lonely, and numb. Our diversions eventually cease to excite us. The things that we use as, as, as excuses Oh, I can't do that because I got to go wash the car. Oh, I can't do that because I, I, I have to, to watch uh, 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 the news. Oh, I can't do that because uh, we didn't go, I got to go grocery shopping. 
Got to get my nails done. Got to work on the car. You see, we come up with these surfacey excuses on why we shouldn't be working on ourselves. But that's only going to work for a little bit because eventually it's going to catch up to you and it's going to cause more damage. We need to start addressing the problems now, church. Becoming the best version of yourself requires work. Plain and simple. There's no other way. I can't paint it any differently. I can't put a bow on it. Can't put some spray on it and say it's going to smell good. It's going to require effort. It's going to require work. It's going to cost you something. Scripture tells us that our new identity in Christ is both now and not yet. A promise and a present reality. Born, but yet not yet grown. Initiated, but not yet perfected. In other words, yes, you said yes to Jesus. Yes, you were baptized. But it doesn't stop there. There's more to it. It's going to require you to read your word. It's going to require you to, to, to worship more. It's going to require to chip away at the things in your life that are causing you to stumble. Pride, lay, uh, uh, envy, wrath, slothfulness. This term for all, there's a term for all of this, and it's sanctification. It's a big word. We really don't use that much. I had to look up the spelling. (laughs) Sanctification is the process of partnering with Christ to become your fully realized self. Sanctification is about effort, not earning. You can't earn the growth. It has to be worked at. It's an effort on your behalf. But the slothful just want to stay the way they are. Jesus says our old self must die for our new self to be born. But the part of us that needs to die might be a part of who we are as well. Who we are attached to. And some of us don't want to do that. Some of us don't want to separate because we kind of like that person, you know. We like keeping them around. They, it feels good to do some of these things that don't line up with Christ. But if we're truly following in the steps of Jesus, you're going to have to cut it loose. You cannot withstand the pain of addressing your brokenness if you don't believe you're truly loved. Insecurity on a soul level keeps us in hiding. But the truth is understanding God's unconditional love for you is the key to your transformation. Understanding that God loves you so much that he sent his one and only son to die on a cross for you. So that your sins would be forgiven. So you don't have to carry it with you wherever you go. A lot of us Christians spend our time, our our whole lives, avoiding the demands of true discipleship. 
of true love, of true commitment and change, all while consistently and visibly engaging in a lot of church activities. Oh, we like the church activities. We just don't like the other part that helps us grow. I like, ooh, I love the barbecue. That was so good. Man, those donuts, those, those, are, mm, those are delicious. But, but going to discover, uh, I don't know. I don't know about that one. So what do we do about it? Here's a counter virtue that Jesus suggests to the vice of sloth. Matthew 5, 6 says, God blesses those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be satisfied. So what does righteousness mean? At a base level, it's simple. To have a clear picture of and consistently pursue who you are holistically made by God, who you are holistically made by God to be. This is the antidote to Sloth, church, the inverse of avoidance. If I hunger and thirst for righteousness instead of avoiding the aspects of my life that are difficult for me, God promises to bless that painful forward-moving process. God promises to bless that painful forward-moving process. When you begin to take action for your life, for yourself, and begin to move in the direction that God has called you. This is Jesus' way of saying, don't tap out. Don't tap out. Don't live in denial. Don't just do what's easy. Don't live lopsidedly, focusing only on what you're already good at and receiving praise for. You are made to fully step into your whole identity. And that's a process. And it's going to take time. And it's going to be a struggle. And it's always not going to be fun. But God will bless your every step. God will be with you through it all. And even if you never get exactly where you want to go, you'll be completely satisfied because you are fully engaged in the growth process, in the, uh, in the maturing as a believer. The treatment for sloth is to identify where you need to grow, what areas in your life need your focus and attention. You need to pick a path and stay the course to remain engaged mentally and physically, resisting the urge to give up. So if that's something that you struggle with, how do you do that? How do you do that? I'm going to wrap up this message here. As I wrap up, let me give you some practical steps in separating yourself from being a sloth. Super important that you take pictures and take notes of this because this is, I, I cannot be the only one that probably struggles with sloth, right? There has to be other people in here that, that have, have fallen victim to this, this, this vice. So when it comes to sloth, the early fathers recommended what they called stability of place. Stability of place. It was about resisting the temptation to run away from what you 
we're called to be and do. I don't know what you were called to be or called to do. I don't know if God has spoken something over your life. I don't know if you feel God has pointed you in a certain direction. But being slothful has prevented you from getting there. And so I want to encourage you this morning to, to, to hold your ground. Don't run away from it. But take the necessary steps into being who God has called you to be, called you to do. You see, it was about putting yourself around people that would require you to grow. Who love you enough not to let you take the easy way out. I don't know if you have someone like that. It's willingly entering into a relationship with people who will make life harder for you so that life will be better for you. You see, I have a lot of relationships with a lot of people in here. Some of you, I'm just waiting for you to invite me to dinner, and then we can start a great relationship. It's that simple, right? With Jesus, you just raise your hand. With me, just get me to dinner, and we're good. But I have a lot of relationships with people here, both personal and and, and church side of things. And I can see when you get uncomfortable around me. I can see when you start like shifting over. Because you realize that you're doing something that you shouldn't be doing. I'm not casting any judgment. I'm not saying anything to you. But through the personal relationships I have with people here, I want to believe that you've grown because of that relationship with me. Not because I pointed fingers at your sins or called you out on something dumb, but simply because you have a relationship with me that causes you to think and analyze where you stand, not with me, but in your walk with Jesus. So you need to find relationships that are going to help you do that. They're going to do the same thing for you. People that are going to love on you, support you, and encourage you, and call you out. Not pointing fingers or naming anyone in here. But there are times when you know I support you on some of the things you post. And there are times I don't have to say anything when you know I don't support you. And if I find that you disconnected me, just speaks to the truth of what I'm saying. You'll come around and put me back on. Because here's our tendency, folks. No matter the place, no matter the job, no matter the friend group, we experience a little bit of the honeymoon period where everyone's getting to know each other. Everyone's lovey-dovey. All of our strengths 
and attributes are on display. We're flexing. We're like, yeah, this is what I can do. These are the, this is my good side, and so is this side, right? It's all great. It's all, it's, it's kumbaya. But after a while, people also get to know your weaknesses, your dark side, and what you're not good at. The things we successfully hid from them at the start of our relationship. And for the sake of community, they're going to call us out and encourage us to face it, to do something about it. Then they're going to ask us for proof that we're taking action in our lives. And then they're going to keep asking us and asking us. They're going to expect progress. For those of you who were baptized this morning and have been baptized uh, before, guess what? I'm expecting progress. You and I have a relationship. I baptized you. I witnessed it. And now it's time to start growing. For those of you who've been in a long relationship with Jesus and decided to take a sabbatical, now it's time to wake up. It's time to start growing. Time to punch the clock in again and say, here I am, Lord. I need to work on some things. I need to mature and I need to grow and I need to stop making excuses. For those of you who think nobody's watching, guess what? Somebody's watching. If you're on Facebook and I got you, I'm watching. If you're on Instagram and I got you, I'm watching. Not only am I watching, I'm expecting progress. You cannot come to South Hills and not and choose not to grow. We ain't having that in here. We have to grow. We want to put you on a track to grow. We want to connect you with people that are going to love you, support you, encourage you, and force you to grow. But you know what would be way easier? You want to know what's an escape route? Oh, Pastor, I think I'm going to find another church. Somewhere they're not only my business. Somewhere they're not trying to make me grow. Somewhere the pastor's not following me on social media. Somewhere they're not telling me to go to this cover class. Somewhere they're not telling me to read my Bible. Yeah, that's easier. But that place is also probably a place that's not caring too much about you. What happens to you? They're not going to be loving. They're not going to be accepting. And they're not going to be full of grace. The sloth is good at justifying his own inactivity because ultimately it's everyone else's fault. To tunnel out, you've got to move 
from avoidance to accountability. To get out of this situation you're in, you have to move from avoidance to accountability. So here is where it happens. Take these notes down. Number one, how do I move from avoidance to accountability? Number one, let the right people know everything. Let the right people know everything. What are the right people? The people that are safe, the people that are kind, the people that love you, the people that are good at seeing your patterns, the people that are not afraid to confront you, right, when they have to. Those are the right people, a.k.a. pastor. Number two, right, open up to everything. Open up everything, all aspects of your life. Don't just tell them. Live in front of them. Let them see that you're desiring to grow. Let them see that you're making an effort to grow. Number two, locating where you want to grow. Move from avoidance to accountability by locating where you want to grow. Focus on wholeness, not achievement. Exit the success mindset and enter a healthy mindset. You want to be a healthy Christian, not a successful Christian. A healthy. When you are healthy, success comes later. Number three, move from avoidance to accountability by leveraging your schedule to consistently correct that issue, that thing. It's not about what you want to do or what you do once in a while, but about what you regularly do that makes you you. You cannot change without committing to a schedule. It has to be in your day-to-day routine. You cannot lose weight by eating lettuce on Monday, eating pizza on uh, Tuesday, eating a burger on Wednesday, eating fried chicken on Thursday, eating a taco on Friday, and then eating salad again. On It doesn't work that way. I've tried. <laughs> Commit to your schedule. And lastly, number four, from avoidance to accountability. Lock in and stay the course even when you don't feel like it. We all wake up and say, man, I don't feel like doing this. I don't feel like going to work. I don't feel like eating the shake. I don't feel like going to the gym. I don't feel like doing, paying the bills. I don't, we all feel like that. But the truth of the matter is, church, there are no overnight fixes. It's going to require hard work, and consistency is the key. Maybe today you fell. Maybe today you didn't do the right thing. Get up tomorrow and start it again. Build on one day. Make it two days. Build on two days. Make it three days. Before you know it, there's a week. And before you know it, there's a month. And before you know it, it's six months. And next thing you know, you have one year under your belt where you have consistently worked at being a better person and stopped making excuses. So church, are we slothful? Yeah, some of us are, not everybody. Do we make excuses? Yeah, not everybody, but we do. Can you imagine if we decided to stop making excuses for things? 
if we decided that today we were going to yell out like Roberto Duran and say, no mas. Today, I'm going to take the necessary steps and leaving this slothful life behind me. I'm going to work on my relationship with God. I'm going to do the necessary things to live the life that he has purposed for me. I'm going to stop making excuses. Stop trying to be like someone else. I'm going to take the necessary steps to live the life that God has for me. Because I don't know about you, but I, there comes a moment in your time where you get tired of stumbling on the same thing. You get tired of tripping on the same thing over and over and over again. And if pride, envy, wrath, and sloth is one of those, man, it's time to make the change. It's time to do different. Something I didn't add to my notes is stop letting other people make excuses for you. Stop, other, stop, stop looking to, to use somebody else as an excuse of why you haven't grown, why you haven't changed. Be the catalyst in your relationships, whether it be at home or at work or at school. Be the catalyst. Be the igniter. You start first. See the change in your life first and see how it catches fire to those around you. Amen.